Is it on? Apparently I was singing with it on the whole time. I apologize. <laughs> would, have, would have much rather you have heard uh, Brother Dan's beautiful voice rather than my own. <clears throat> well, good evening to each of you. Thank you all again for having my family and, and myself. It is our, our pleasure to be here this evening. Will you open the Word of God to the, epistle, uh, the general epistle of James? James chapter 3. Beginning in verse 2 through verse 12 will be our text for this evening. The title of this message, it'll be, a, it'll be a two-parter, the power of the tongue. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in horses' mouths, and they obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature." And it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. And therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt and fresh. The tongue is one of the smallest members of the human body. But it is one of utmost importance. It is one, we sang, of praising our God. We sang of worshiping Him. It is, it is a member of the body that we use in, di- directly in that worship. It is, one, it is a member of the body of utmost importance. We use it to tell our family that we love them. We use it to express our concerns. We use it to rejoice, to sing to the Lord, to preach His Word. If I did not have a tongue, I would not be able to preach as the, as the Lord had intended, at least in the manner that I currently do that. <clears throat> but we also use it for many things for which it was not intended. We use it for many things that for which it was not intended. It may be small, but in many ways it is man's biggest problem. It is man's biggest problem. But before we get to the exhortation, before we get to the encouragement, because these are not commandments, these are not you shall figure out a way in and of your own power to do this, before we get to the encouragement that is provided here, before we get to the admonition, we'd like to see what the background for this admonition is. Why, why is it that we would want to follow what this word says? <clears throat> I would like for us to, to be reminded, just as we sang that, that, that last hymn, Come Thou Fount, is one of my favorite. It is, it is a beautiful, beautiful hymn that reminds us uh, not only of what our God has done for us, but what our flesh still is. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We, under, we understand that our, that's what our flesh does. Our flesh wants to do that. Our flesh wants to wander. 
we're prone to leave the God that we love. But we ought not. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He is the one who has purchased us back. He is the one who has redeemed us. He is the one who has redeemed us from our penalty of sin, has redeemed us from our bondage to it as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 <clears throat> speaks of that in this manner, verses 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? We're purchased with a price, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, because we are purchased, we are bought with a price. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are, we are not our own. Men, men want to think, oh, I, I'm a free individual. I've got liberty. I can do what I want. Liberty is not the ability to do whatever you want. Liberty is the ability to do what you should do. Rather than being forced by the hand of a king, by the hand of a monarch, or the hand of a dictator to do what they deem is good. That is why many of our forefathers in the faith came to this nation, came to this land, and ended up producing this nation to have liberty, to be able to worship God according to their conscience, according to their understanding, rather than the king who had made himself Lord of the church. That is, that is we, we are the Lord God's and we, we ought to worship, do, do what he says and not what men ought to say. Not what men, not what men say, excuse me. We ought to follow what the Lord God has given to us in his word. Colossians 1.13 speaks much in the same manner. Who hath delivered us, God, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. We were under the authority, the exousia, the, the, the authoritative power of darkness. Do you realize that that's where you were? Where, where are we now? If that's where we were, we are, we are delivered from the power, the authoritative power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We were under the power, the authority of darkness, of sin, and its, and its power. Now we are under Christ and his authority. He is our king. He is our, he is our, uh, uh, he is our Lord. No longer is sin our Lord. Our king so he has not only purchased us, he has not only brought us out from darkness and brought us into his marvelous light, but he is also, our king has given us a new heart, a new heart. Come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we, we see there described that we have the mind of Christ. That isn't that we develop it ourselves, it is that we are given it in the new man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. That new man, Ephesians 4.24, tells us is created in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians 4.24, just so you can see it from the word of God. And that you put on the new man. This is not an admonition. This has already happened. Which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The, uh, the parallel passage in Colossians 3.10 shows that it has already occurred. This isn't something that you need to do. God has already put on the new man on us that comes in the new birth. That new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. Our new man does not desire to and cannot sin. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9 reads this way, Whosoever is born of God, our new man is born directly from God, doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Whatever is born of God cannot sin. Our new man doesn't sin. Now, that creates, a, that creates a puzzle. Well, but we still sin. So how, how is it that that occurs? Come to Romans chapter 7. 
<clears throat> Romans chapter 7. And the Apostle Paul struggled, not with this truth, he understood the truth, but he struggled with the fact that we do still in this body, even after we are a born-again child of God, still have sin in this life. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 18. <clears throat> For that which I do, I allow not. I'm doing the things I don't want to do. For what I would, that, what I want to do, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If the Apostle Paul struggled with this, you and I most certainly struggle, still struggle with this. If then I do that which I would not, if I do the thing that I don't want to do, I consent unto the law that it is good. There's nothing wrong with the law. God's law, we delight, after, we delight in the law of God after the inward man. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. The weakness of the law wasn't the law itself, it was the flesh. Now, now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. There is still an old man there. There is still the old sinful nature that is, that is still within us. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, that fleshly nature that we inherited from Father Adam, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. The desire to do good is present. That comes with the new birth. But how to perform that which is good I find not. We do not have the ability in and of ourselves, even with the new man, to perform that which is good in God's sight. That is why it is he that, has to, that must work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That is why it is he that works in us, in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Both uh, um, Philippians 2.13, Hebrews 13.20 or 21, one of, the, one of those passages. That is why it is he who has wrought all our works in us. As we discussed this morning, Isaiah 26.12. Dropping down to verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? This is, uh, you remember Saul, Paul, is from Tarsus. They did not follow. They, he's a Roman citizen and also a Jew. He, they did not follow, in Tarsus, they did not follow the law of Moses to a T. They didn't follow everything that, that Moses had, had, had been given by God and had written down and preserved unto their day. How they dealt with murderers is they would take the body of the victim and tie it to the murderer until the murderer died of infection. This is what's, what Paul is drawing from. O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death, this death that is upon me. Our, we can't get away. He, the, the murderer would not be able to get away from the dead body on his back. That's how we feel with the, with the old man still attached to us. That is how the Apostle Paul felt, and I assure you that that is how, 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 we, how we feel with the old man. It is not something we can get away from. That murderer would never be able to get away until he died. Same way with us. Until we shed this flesh. Now, we'll have a, we'll have a body someday. Flesh isn't bad. The Lord Jesus has flesh and bone. He does not have blood any longer. He has flesh and bone. It's not this, this flesh that we see that's the bad thing. It's the fleshly nature, the earthly, the earthly carnality of man that we inherited from Father Adam. That is the battle that still rages in us, even as a born-again child of God. There is a battle that is going on. Paul talks about a battle uh, going on between his members and, and, his, uh, and his person. The tongue is a portion of that battle. So why is this admonition given unto us? Because we need to understand. We need to understand how bad the tongue is. This is why we need to train. This will be our acronym for the evening. 
train. We need to train, not that we will bring the tongue into subjection of our resolution, of our understanding. We need to train to understand when it is not under control, when it is not under control. Part two will deal with how, how, what we do when we recognize that it's not under control. We need to train to understand when it isn't, when it is not under control. Back to James chapter 3. We begin with our first train, as in uh, one that trains for uh, a sporting event or some, some type of event. They're training for something, not a, uh, uh, not a train like the company that makes air conditioning. <clears throat> train, we begin with our first letter in verse 2. T is for tongue. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. The tongue here is compared to the whole body. Compared to the whole body, the tongue is harder to bridle than the rest of the body. We understand. We understand that. We understand how that comes about. Isaiah 6 and verse 5, Isaiah sees the Lord, which by the way, in John chapter 12, verse 41, we're told that Isaiah saw Jesus. So keep, keep that in mind. When Isaiah saw Jesus Christ, he says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips that dwell in a people of unclean lips. How many people would say that today? That we dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But we, our, our nation has so far departed from the teaching of Scripture that it isn't, it isn't an issue to take the Lord's name in vain. It's, it's, not, it's not a big deal to use words that we ought not to use. You know, use it in use it in primetime television. Use it use it in kids shows. Eh, who cares? But the tongue here is compared uh, is compared to the rest of the body. He that can bridle the tongue is considered a complete, a perfect man. Not not that he doesn't sin, but he's complete. He's mature, a mature man, and also able to bridle the rest of his body. Now, why why the tongue? Why use that? Come to, come to the book of Matthew. Come to the gospel according to Matthew. Our Lord gives us some insight in his earthly ministry to this very point. <clears throat> Matthew 15 and verse 11. We'll get verse 10. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man. Because they had, they had accused him and his disciples of, oh, you're unclean because you didn't wash your, you didn't rinse your hands. They're not talking about washing your hands with soap before you eat, which is a good practice. That's, you know, that's a wise practice. Get the, get the dirt and the germs and things off your hands before you eat. They're talking about some man-created tradition of rinsing, rinsing water over your hands that, that the elders had put on the people. That's, that's the tradition that, that he is, uh, um, uh, going against. It's not that which goeth into the mouth that defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Now why, why is that? Drop down to verse 16. And Jesus said, Are ye, are ye also yet without understanding? Peter, uh, uh, Peter said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. Are ye also yet without understanding? Do ye not yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? It doesn't, it's, it's trash, it's refuse, it doesn't matter. What goes into your mouth is just, it's food. It's food and, it, and, and nothing comes of it. But those things which proceed out of the mouth, where do they come from? The heart. The heart. And that's the, that's the real issue. It's not the, the, the muscle of your tongue. It's not the issue. It's the heart. 
The tongue is indicative of what's in the heart. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Eating with unwashed hands, while maybe it's not a wise practice, it's not going to make you defiled. It's not a sin to eat with dirty hands. We've all eaten with dirty hands before. That's not, that is not a sin. But to uh, uh, do everything uh, that proceeds out of the heart, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, so on and so forth, that is what proceeds out of the natural heart. That is why the tongue is the problem. You know, there, there's, it's almost like there's, what, the tongue is in between your brain and your heart. That way, that way the, what's in your heart doesn't go through your brain first. It's, all, it's almost like that's the case. We obviously know that that, that that isn't the case, but that's what it seems like many times. How many times do we just burst out when, when, we're, when we're angry or when we're frustrated? We're all, we're all guilty of that. That's, that's why the tongue is so difficult to manage. Come to Romans chapter 3. We see, this, we see this described by the Apostle Paul here in Romans chapter 3 and verse 13. <clears throat> their, their throat is an open sepulcher. This is speaking of a, of a universal condemnation of the natural man. They're Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. We're all under sin. They are all gone out of the way. Well, verse 13, their throat is an open sepulcher. Now think of an open tomb, an open grave. That's what their mouth is like. That's how bad the mouth of the natural man is. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. What a, what a, uh, what a way to describe the mouth of the natural man. And I'm not so far removed from that state, from that state of life. I can remember, yep, that fit me just perfectly. That's exactly, exactly the way I was until the Lord got a hold of me. That's what the natural man is all about. The natural man doesn't care about what God has said. The natural man doesn't care about walking in God's ways unless it suits him, unless it, unless it allows him to have some power or authority or money or fame or whatever it may be. The natural man doesn't care about things that offend our Lord God. He that is able to bridle these things, he that's able to bridle the tongue, as we see in, in this, verse, this verse 2, is a complete, a perfect, a mature man and is able to bridle the whole body. That shows us that the, that the tongue is, a, is a, a hard issue to handle. In verses 3 through 6, we move to the letter R in our acronym, TRAIN. <clears throat> this is for the rein, the rein that is attached to the bit that goes in the horse's mouth, the R-E-I-N. Not the rain that falls down from heaven. Not the rain as in God reigns over all things. The R-E-I-N. The strap that attaches to the bridle. Or to the, to the bit that goes in, into the horse's mouth. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body. Think about how small that bit is. We, he, he's, again, just as we discussed this morning, how many natural truths teach spiritual truths. Here's a natural truth. A small bit of metal, a small piece of metal put into a horse's mouth. It doesn't necessarily have to do with the horse's mouth, but just a small little thing, and you can control that humongous horse. Just a small little thing. All you gotta do is a little tug and he'll and he'll turn. And he'll and he'll turn. 
Just a small little thing, and you control that entire horse. Verse 4, Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Now the helm, Oxford Universal Dictionary, is a very, a very good dictionary if you're looking for a paper dictionary because, as we've noted, they like to change definitions. They can change definitions on the Internet all day long. They can't change paper in your library. Or they have tried in the past where they burned all the books, but it's very difficult to do that. A helm is, uh, is the wheel by which the rudder is driven. So the, the helm is small. The rudder is small also compared to how great the ship is. Think about that. A large ship, small, small rudder, even smaller wheel that, steals, that steers the rudder. Again, a natural truth, teaching, a spiritual truth, that such a large object, object is driven by something so small, wherever the governor or the helmsman listeth desires. Wherever, wherever he desires for it to go, a small person driving an entire ship with a very small wheel, a small rudder, but the ship is gigantic. Think of, you know, we have ships larger than the Titanic today, aircraft carriers, so on and so forth, small cities floating on water, small rudder driving that entire ship. Think, think about that. That is, that is the, the idea that the apostle is trying to get across, that, that, the, that, that the Lord is teaching here, a large thing being driven by something so small. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a, a little fire kindleth. Now, I've studied. Uh, I work in, in fire prevention, so I, st I study fires. That is part of, part of what, what I have done. Big fires are always started with little fires. Behold, what great a matter a little fire kindleth. A, small, a, a large amount of fuel that a little fire kindles the large amount of fuel is, what, is, is what, what, he's, what he's getting at. Sometimes that is only a small spark or an ember. That's why they have such trouble with wildfires because the embers based on the wind, can start fires a mile ahead of them. That's why, they're, that's why there's such an issue with that. That's why uh, um, uh, the wildland firefighters go in and cut fire breaks through the forest. California's having an issue with that. They need, to, they need to take note because their environmentalists have told their wildland firefighters, you can't do that. You can't make sure that our, that our forests are taken care of. There are lots of things that, that, uh, that man is to do to take care of the earth that the Lord has given, given us to take care of. That is, that is one of them. We've all heard of the Chicago fire that happened in the, in the, in the 1800s. <clears throat> in 1871, a barn in Chicago at about 8.30, a cow kicked over a lantern. Small fire small fire ended up burning down the whole city. That small fire led to 100,000 being homeless. Seven, 17,500 buildings were destroyed and about 300 people died. All with a very small fire to, be, to begin with. Such a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue, and, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. A world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Did you know that our, that our words can start metaphorical fires? Will you come to the book of the Proverbs? 
chapter 26. <clears throat> 26 and verse 20 reads this way. Where no wood is, the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. Now think about that. Where there's no fuel, there can't be a fire. Where there's no talebearer, the strife, the fighting, it stops. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. You need fuel to make a fire go. The contentious man or the talebearer, he's the fuel. He's the fuel that causes those things to go. <clears throat> causes the strife to continue on or causes the strife to, to be even, even started. Our words can start fires in that way. We live in a world full of iniquity. Here's another, here's another example. A world of iniquity. How did that happen? By one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Romans 5.12 When Adam and Eve ate of the tree, one small act of disobedience... One may ask, what's the big deal? They, just, they, they were hungry, they ate some fruit. God said no. They can eat of every other tree of the garden. God had given them everything that they could ever need. Don't eat of the one tree. And they listened to the devil and ate of the tree. That one, what could be seem, considered seemingly small act of disobedience led to the world of iniquity that we currently live in. What a, what a, what a uh, manner, what a matter such a little fire kindleth. So is our tongue. Our tongue does the very same thing. What it speaks can defile the whole person, can defile the whole body. And when it does, that small fire, uh, that, when that fall, small fire ignites and engulfs the whole of the human nature, <clears throat> it, is, it, it brings about a world of pain. It is even said here, that it is set on fire of or by hell. And it is not, not a good fire to be a part of. Fire can keep one warm whenever it's placed in a fireplace. But when it's anywhere else, whenever it's not in its proper place, it's not a good thing. Not a good, not a good thing at all. Seven through the, part of, through the first part of verse eight, we get to A in our acronym train. A is for animals. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed, of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. We've tamed every kind of animal. We haven't tamed every animal, but we've tamed every kind of animal. And you know, that's exactly what the Lord gave us to do. You come back to Genesis. Come back to Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> and verse 28. And here God blessed them, that is Adam and Eve... Or you read Genesis 5.1, you'll see that Eve's name was Adam in the day that they were both created. So their, their name was Adam in the day that they were both created. Eve was not named Eve until after the fall in Genesis chapter 3. So God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Psalm 8, Psalm 8, another passage that speaks very similarly. In verse 6, 
Thou madest him, that is man, to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. Now you read Hebrews chapter 2, you'll see that Psalm 8 is generally about man. But not, not everything has been put under our feet. We don't control every sheep, every oxen, every, every animal that walks about on the face of the earth. You read in Hebrews chapter 2, that's about Christ. Christ ultimately is the fulfillment of that text. But generally, it is about mankind. He has given us to, to be the ones that steward the earth. Now, all the climate change and all the, all the, the funniness, all the nonsense that they're preaching today, that's their God. That's their God, and their God will be destroyed because our God is the judger of other people's gods. You see that in, in, uh, in, in the Exodus. The ten plagues, that was judgments on the Egyptians' gods. You read that in the book of Numbers, that he judged their gods to show that he's the only true God. He doesn't change, does he? If he doesn't change, he continues to do that very same thing. We read in the book of the Revelation that he turns the heat up. If they want global warming, he'll give it to them. 2 Peter 3, he, the elements will melt with fervent heat. He'll give them global warming if that's what they want, <clears throat> showing, showing them that there are windmills. I've, I just got back from western Oklahoma. There are windmills everywhere, everywhere, because we've got to have this renewable energy. What happens when there's no wind? If we shut down the oil production, by the way, who put the oil in the earth? The Lord God did. Are we, are we better? Are we smarter than him? No, we're not. What happens when there's no wind? The wind comes out of his treasuries, we're told. He's the one that makes the wind. If he decides to shut the wind off, or if he decides to send another Arctic blast like he did last year, and their gods fall over, they start having to drop antifreeze on the windmills to get them to go because they can't produce enough power. Silly man never learns his lesson, is what, I, is what I'm ultimately trying to get at. Silly man never learns his lesson. I apologize for chasing the rabbit, but I, I couldn't help myself. <clears throat> so, man... Given, is generally given dominion over the, over the things of the earth. We are to be the steward. He told Adam to tend the garden, to take care of the things that he had been given, given dominion over. Take care of them, not fret over destroying them because we didn't make it, we're not going to destroy it. Take care of it. I'm not, uh, we can walk on the grass, we can shoot a deer. That's what the Lord gave us to do, to take dominion, to have dominion over, over his creation. Take care of it, be stewards of it. <clears throat> Yet the tongue, we've been given dominion all, over all of these things. We've tamed every kind of animal that there is, but not the tongue. Not the tongue. This, this is why it is one of man's biggest problems. Man, by his power and cunning, is not able to do that very thing. The ending of verse, verse 8 and verse 9, we see the insubordination of the tongue. The, the I of our acronym train, insubordinate, is what the tongue is. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. Therewith curse we men, which are, are made after the similitude of God. <clears throat> this is an example of its unruliness. The tongue, it's unruly. Our, our natural heart, it, it's a horrible, uh, a horrible sight to behold. It is a hor As we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, not only are we growing in our understanding of the Scriptures, but He's also showing to us more of ourselves. 
that we may that we may understand what what to turn away from, and it, it's a horrible thing to be shown yourself. Isaiah said, "All our righteousnesses, plural, all of our good works, anything we could ever do, are but filthy rags to a thrice holy God." <clears throat> that is that is the way that the tongue is. Because here's the example: therewith bless we God. Even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. The similitude, this is the only time that that Greek term is used in the New Testament, but its root is found in Acts 14.11, where they thought Paul, who was a man, was a god. He's made, the gods have come down in the likeness of men. He looked like a man. Man created in the similitude the, like, the, 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 the physical likeness of God, as we've as we've noted in the past, they they thought that God had come down in the likeness of a man. Man is created after the in the image of God created he man. We're we're told in in Genesis, and who is that image of God? It is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Second Corinthians four verse four. So we were create we bless God and we curse men with the same tongue, and we're going to be told here. Verses 10 through 12, that these things ought not, and there is our, there is our in of our acronym train, not. These things ought not be so. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. We ought not to be blessing God and cursing men. You've heard the phrase, you kiss your mother with that mouth? I was in the military, and I know, uh, I, I've heard that phrase once or twice. And yes, some some men still still kiss their mother with that mouth, and and that that it was a it was a a, a, dirt, a dirty thing. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Either a vine, figs, so can no fountain both yield salt, water, and fresh. This, uh, again, natural truths teaching spiritual truths. How the, Lord, the Lord is the one who created the natural. And he did it with a purpose, to teach us these very things. That, that what he has created naturally, animals always after their kind. He could have used that as an example also. A goat never produces a sheep, and a sheep never produces a goat. They were never one another. They can never be one another. This, uh, so our tongue ought not to be, ought not to be both things, bl- uh, pro- proceeding blessing and cursing out of the same tongue. This is this, the company that the tongue keeps is not good. We come to the Psalms, we'll examine, examine just a few passages that teach about the tongue <clears throat> from the Psalms and the Proverbs. Psalm 5 and verse 9. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. There's no faithfulness in the mouth of the natural man. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. We read that in Romans chapter 3. This is, this is one of the citations. Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 18 are citations from the Old Testament showing that Paul is using that, showing the truth that he is teaching. Is not, it wasn't something hidden. It wasn't something that he's created out of whole cloth. He didn't just pull it out of thin air. He's showing from the Old Testament, hey, the Old Testament showed us that that, that that was the natural man. They flatter with their tongue 
Come to Psalm 10 and verse 7. <clears throat> his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under, their tongue, under his tongue is mischief and vanity. This is, again, a, a condemnation on the, on the natural man. Verse 5 says it is the wicked that this, that this is describing. Psalm 52 and verse 2. Thy tongue deceiveth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. A, hor- uh, a horrible use of the gift of God. The tongue is a gift from God. As well as almost everything else we have in this life. It is a gift of God and it ought not to be abused in the way that men abuse it. Verse 4, thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. Proverbs 6 and verse 17, we, we spoke this morning of loving the brethren. We'll understand why Proverbs chapter 6 has the seven things that are an abomination to our God. And we, un- we understand based on the first message this morning why this is an abomination to our God. Verse 17, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Drop down to verse 19. A false witness that speaketh lies. All of those things happen by use of the tongue. And he that soweth discord among brethren. Remember, we're supposed to love the brethren. So he that soweth discord among the brethren is an abomination unto our God. All of that happens by use of the tongue. James chapter, coming back to James chapter 1. In verse 26, he's focusing very much on the use, uh, on the use of the tongue. Verse, chapter, James chapter 1 and verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he's not even trying. He's just speaking whatever comes to his mind and doesn't, doesn't care at all what comes out of his mouth. But deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Be careful around, around him. And Christian, we ought, to, we ought to attempt to bridle our tongue. Not by our own power. We'll get, we'll get to that in the next message. I don't want to uh, keep us here all evening. I know Paul preached all night one time. And, but people fell asleep, and I'm going to try to avoid that. <clears throat> the tongue can be, it can be a wretched member of the body. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that in the tongue is both life and death. We saw tonight how death is in the power of the tongue. Death is in the power of the tongue. Since the tongue is capable of this, we understand why we need to train to recognize when uh, recognize this matter as it is outlined in this passage. We need, to, we need to train to recognize when our tongue is not under control. When it is not under control, and I'll keep you in suspense until the next message, probably the next Lord's Day evening I'm here. We'll, we'll discuss what we are to do when we recognize our tongue is not under control. And I assure you right now, it is not. Well, you just need to clench your fist and grit your teeth and get it done. Nope, that is not how works. That is not how works go. Just as, just as Paul said, in, my, in myself that is in my flesh, I findeth no good thing that is in me. I, I uh, find the ability or the desire to do, the will to do, but the ability to perform, I find not. We do not by resolution. We do not. How, how, how long did you, your New Year's resolution last? Mine lasted a couple of days because I sought to do it under my own power. Under our own power, we will not accomplish anything. Under the Lord's power, we will accomplish all things. And that is what we will focus on in the next message. Thank you for your time and attention this evening. Let's bow before our God.
Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for its instruction. You, 